0: Uh, good go, tempo? go. Yeah, I'm okay. good. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Did you? What happened? Did it melt? I'm just curious, real quick. Well, Did I had your- hmm,
1: this this popsicle had like a, a an incision like halfway down the tube that I didn't really notice when it was frozen, and then I just set it down, and there was still some liquid in it, and it just oozed out all over the desk. It's gonna be
0: a good sticky desk.
1: I even brought some spray in here, and I wiped it off. You're a
0: good guy. Way to not put that off until this was over.
1: Yeah, I would have been very distracted if I guess had a pile of popsicle <laughs> guts looking at me the entire time we were recording. Fair enough. All right, man. Well, right. long time no chat. Long time no chat. Uh, it has been, you know, a whole week since we have talked to each other, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Long time. Mm-hmm. Sure feels that way. Actually, the past two days have been incredibly long.
1: All right. Well. What, why have they felt long? And for those who who aren't following along with our, uh, our our little joke there, we talked a couple days ago, and we're recording this episode ahead of time because I'm going to be out of town when during our normal that, recording time.
0: Calling that a joke is a real stretch.
1: <laughs> I couldn't think of a better word. I knew it wasn't a joke. Was it a jape? Was it a no? Maybe. I guess. Yeah. A I don't even. I don't even know if it got up to the level of a jape. But.
0: No. Anyways, um what did we do? Oh yeah, yesterday was my bread day. Big big day big of bread day. Big old
1: bread day. Mm-hmm. It's honestly it was a lot of, a big portion of my day. I did not realize how, how time intensive So why was it so time intensive?
0: Well, so I made sourdough bread. Um okay. and actually like the there's a lot of work that goes into it before you start the actual baking process. So it's a, it's a lot like, like what you have to like kind of you have things?
1: to kind of like cleanse the room and get the right spirits in there to, to, to make sure yeah, burn, your sourdough rises.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I burn some sage. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick little seance. No. But what do you do is you do feed. So you get a starter from somebody. And I think there are ways to make your own starter. But usually I mean, you there would have to some, be.
1: Otherwise, how obviously. who made the first starter. Well, God made the first starter <laughs> oh <laughs> it's in Genesis Adam and, Eve and their sourdough and starter <laughs> the Sourdough starter and
0: of course or Eve either one of them they just passed that on to everybody and okay. now everyone's got some sourdough starter all right um but that's so I got I got my sourdough starter for my boss um what is a sourdough starter I really don't know what all is actually in it to start it, but basically it's just like – it looks like batter almost already. It's kind of – it's just a mixture of flour, water, and then like essentially yeast of some sort because mm-hmm. this whole point of this is that it has the, the tang and the sour smell. And what gives It's what gives it its flavor, but it also you you know – it is active as well, so you don't need to add yeast or any type of leavening um, product. It does it on its own. And um, you only
1: use part of the starter, right, and then you keep the rest for future batches?
0: Yeah, pretty much so what you do is you have the starter and then to make a loaf of bread you need, or my recipe for two loaves of bread is 16 ounces of starter and then you also want four extra ounces to set aside for future bread. So you took, you know, a couple days ago before I was going to bake, I took the four ounces I had, combined it with water and flour, four ounces of water, four ounces of flour, put all this together, put them in a jar, kind of in a, a dark area, cool area. It rises on its own, kind of like continues feeding and bubbling and then you do that one more time, but with eight ounces of each thing. So now I have enough. Um, basically, you set aside the 16 for baking, the other four into the fridge um, for future bread. And then whatever extra you have, you can just set aside. It's called discard. Um, it's basically just more starter. But I set it aside and actually made sourdough pancakes this morning, which was really good. Um, so that's kind of what I use my discard for. But yeah, so you start doing that process usually like a day before you're actually going to bake. Okay. Yeah, And yesterday was my baking day.
1: All right, and how did it go? Would was did you create edible bread?
0: Yeah, no, it was actually it's it's pretty good. I've, eat, I've eaten quite a bit of the first loaf. I froze the other one. Um, honestly, yeah, it smelled amazing. It looks really nice. Tastes good. It's a little flat. I mean, I wouldn't like. I'm not sure if I'd sell it at a bakery, but um, it was you mean, my just first attempt. It's a little flat, like it's like, it's not like it's not fluffy. It looks like not it's not a, a focaccia bread, but it's close to that. It looks like someone almost stepped on it. Um, <laughs> Not, not that much. But if you look at the, I think I sent a picture to the group. It was a little flatter than like your average loaf of like sourdough you'd get from a bakery. So, you know, it's not bad for the first attempt, but I don't think, I think they can get more fluffy than that. Um, it was a good bake as Paul Hollywood would say. Um, (laughs) but it was, it's a big, it's like a five hour process. So you made the dough in the morning, set it aside, let it, you let it rest a bunch of times for like 20 minutes. Right. Um, you add things in between, um, And it only only bakes for like 45 minutes or so. But I'm trying to get into the the groove of making bread maybe every week or maybe every week and a half or so um, and and not buy bread anymore because for the most part I just use it as toast and then for some sandwiches during lunch and sourdough is kind of my go-to anyways. So I'm hoping I can just substitute this in. And it honestly takes almost nothing to make a loaf of bread. Uh, It's just starter, two different types of flour, like five and a half cups total or so, water, salt, that's pretty much it. Some elbow Um,
1: grease,
0: some elbow grease, some time, some love. And yeah, so I think, I mean, in retrospect, it probably is, other than the labor time, cheaper than like going out and buying loaves of sourdough. Oh, yeah, I'm sure.
1: And I'm sure the more you do it, the faster and more efficient you will be at making it.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is I kind of know the steps now. So I'm hoping I can actually do it on work days and try and like just pop in for like five minutes and do the, you know, the kneading that I need to do and then let it rise for two hours or something. Mm -hmm. So We'll see. It'll be an ongoing experiment through the summer, but it was exciting. It's the first like big cooking experiment I've done for the most part. I feel like that's, Um, I feel like
1: you're just kind of polishing your farmer cred. You know, I feel like if you're going to be a farmer, you got to be making your own bread. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, it's a good, um, add on to having good veggies. Are you bringing your lunch in like a steel pail?
0: Well, we we eat lunch in the farm office, which is just above my apartment. So no, I come into my apartment and make lunch. It's I, I don't even have a lunch box. It's really nice. I think nice.
1: you should start bringing a lunchbox and a pail, and just see if see if anyone like asks you any questions about why you're bringing your lunch when you live uh, right there.
0: Okay, I mean, I'm sure they would ask something. <laughs> are there are there
1: any other like stereotypical like farmer things I think you should really be leaning into? How often are you wearing overalls? I, thought I was gonna say overalls. Um, in the fall, quite a bit. But right now, Wait, not really. You have overalls like Oshkosh. Yeah,
0: no, not they're not like blue jean ones. They're like Carhartt, like quilted, like lined That's ones, with like brown. That's not what I'm talking about. That's
1: not what I'm talking oh, want, about. Okay, I want, want Granddaddy Otha. <laughs> Granddaddy Otha, blue jean overalls with no shirt.
0: Okay, I'm sure that can fly on the farm. Honestly, it, it would fit with the whole aspect of people kind of ogling us as we work sometimes yeah um, i think you
1: guys okay. need to <laughs> lean into this you already said this is like a marketing thing for the restaurant so lean yep. into it man where are you wearing like a straw hat during the day i did last year i have not yet this year well bust um, it out <laughs> okay. What <laughs> okay what else what else is like how do you make Holding this farm even fork? more picture yeah how often are you carrying a pitchfork i hope permanently <laughs> <laughs> it's actually i it's part of the contract i hold one at all times yeah it's strapped um, to your back Mm-hmm. what else
0: could be are I don't you know, maybe. are you
1: are you like lashing oxen to like a wagon could you do a little no. bit of that
0: we don't really have the space well, for oxen.
1: You, you talk about how you you don't have you you don't do tractors so maybe you mm-hmm. should do more with horses pulling stuff that's that's how they used to do it right yeah that's little not, house on the prairie
0: that's not how no till would work that would be a very different thing i mean it'd be horse till. till horse till <laughs> yeah that's it, the problem mm-hmm. with no-till is not the tractor, usually. It's the tilling part. Oh. <laughs> it's, called no, it's not no-tractor farming. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, I we can gonna try, we to, start talking no-till. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I, I mean, I feel like we've tapped a vein of of conversation that I want to come back to at some point where we just really figure out how to go over the top with the farm experience. Uh, but I guess, I guess we can shift gears into something a little bit more substantive.
0: Well, like agritourism is a big thing now, so we can talk about how... To make, you know, because people like visiting farms and spending time on farms, just not working on farms. Yeah. So there's a lot of farms that have kind of like figured out maybe there's a way to make money off that. And there why, is. Why um, don't
1: you guys, why don't you guys, <laughs> uh, why don't you have chickens? Um,
0: that's a good question. I honestly, I mean, probably because we, they're
1: probably well, the lowest the maintenance thing, right?
0: Yeah, they're pretty low maintenance. And honestly, I was going to say it's because like we don't have enough to supply the restaurant, but we only supply them six pigs. So,
1: yeah.
0: um, Honestly, I don't know why. Um, I would like to have them for myself. It'd be nice to just like have eggs around. So maybe I can pitch that idea. We have an yeah, empty pasture it. up on the farm. So
1: empty pasture chickens you just need somewhere to kind of like hang out at night, if I remember correctly. And then uh, you yeah. got eggs. But yeah, pretty much, bing.
0: you're basically a, you're basically a farmer.
1: I know. We've already established that I'm full of great ideas for your farm.
0: Yeah. I'll just chalk this up to another good idea. By saying, actually, that's probably the best idea you've had yet.
1: I'll just I'll just send you a bill at the end of this uh, season of podcast episodes. Okay, good, good. <laughs> All right, cool. But, All right, well, let's talk farming. I talked a lot the last two episodes, so I have, a, I have a, some questions for you. You've used this phrase a couple of times now, the, the no-till farm. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's start there. Educate me as to what a no-till farm is and I feel like it's you know probably probably a little bit self-explanatory by what's uh by, by that phrase but I'm sure there's some nuance that I don't quite understand as I've already tried to pitch having horses do the tilling
0: yeah so I mean genuine no-till is you never disturb your soil um so honestly our farm could probably be more called like there's a there's definitely minimum tilling farms or low till um, would be another term because we do still disturb the soil before yeah, we plant. Yeah, you walk on it, don't um, you? Not just walking on it, but there's a like I can describe kind of what our process is for prepping a bed. Yeah. But so a genuine no-till farm would be – I'm actually reading a book right now that's kind of all about a farmer that did this in Japan um, called The One Straw Revolution by Fukukawa. But um, anyways, his thing is you kind of like cast the seed out of the soil and you know the seeds will take hold on their own. A very natural approach. I actually
1: um, read about – the. is that the one too where like – you don't even really weed. You just... Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I think I've read about this recently.
0: Yeah, so and I was going to actually say you should read his book because it's an interesting approach to like his whole thing. This was written right after... It was in the 60s or 50s uh, after World War II, right. um, and he kind of wrote about his experience farming um, and the whole idea of what his revolution for farming... It's it's more extreme than just organic farming. It's just right. you know, never-touch-the-soil... Kind of thing, um,
1: and it results in farms that like don't look like farms that you would normally like think of, right? And I think that's a lot some yeah. of that pushback from people. Is like, what do you mean you're farming? Like, it doesn't look like anything. It looks like a field of like just stuff.
0: Yeah, and his, I mean, I I, I could argue with him a lot about it, but, and and people I'm sure have like his idea for like growing vegetable. He was a citrus and rice. Mostly farmer, but he grew vegetables as well. Mm-hmm. But he was like, Yeah, you just like throw all these seeds together, vegetable seeds, and cast them out into your field. Well, you'd have broccoli coming up over here and turnips over there. And like, it sounds nice so, maybe when you're picking it for yourself, but like, right. you would never be able to be efficient on harvesting it. Right, you'd be hunting yeah. for turnips and stuff like that. But his farm was an idea of a genuine no till. But okay. in the term that it's used, the way it's used for other farms, and the reason we call ourselves no till and other farms call it that um, is that we. N- once the beds are established, you do a permanent bed system, which means your field is fixed. The pathways are fixed. You're not going to, you know, every year at other farms, you take a tractor through and remake your beds, you know, and retill them. Here, these beds are the same, 36-inch wide, um, one-foot pathways. It's always the same. Everything is built to that dimension. But the whole idea is that the soil where you plant should stay pretty loose because you're not driving over it and you're not changing mm-hmm. where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, So what that basically means is we do, we have a tractor on the farm, but it's just for driving on the pathways and moving compost around mostly. Um, we never drive it through the field to till our beds or to cultivate our beds or anything. What's the difference between
1: tilling a bed and cultivating a bed?
0: Tilling would be like bed prep. So you have this field that you need to get a bed prepared for another farm. You would drive in with like something called a power harrow, or a rototiller or a spader or three different tools, but they all do the same thing. They dig up at the soil to some extent and kind of make a flat bed top for you to plant into. Cultivating is the term basically used to describe weeding your fields. Mm. So if you go through with a cultivator, you're going through with something that is avoiding the crop, but getting rid of the weeds, um, which is weird because people always use the term cultivation to mean like just farming basically, right. you
1: know? Yeah.
0: But um, so we don't use a tractor for any of that stuff. So our process for, Everything here is like hand tools basically. Um, so when you are making your bed, you know, we, the way that we form a bed, which is like, like archaic, is we do have a tractor attachment. So if it's a new field, like never been tilled before, you, we will go through there with a the tractor just to like
1: – Loosen it up.
0: T- loosen it up because you wouldn't even be able to get in there. It's, it's sod. You know, it's grass. And then we go through with shovels and we dig out the pathway basically a foot wide throwing the soil back onto the bed. So now that you have like a, a visually raised bed, so that's a ton of time I mean, making those beds, but you should only have to do that once because those beds should never go away. Um, so that's what they did, and they did that three years ago here. It was not a no-till farm until three years ago when they started establishing this system. Why did they change? Um, basically, I mean, it was a personal interest of the farmer that was taking over. It was a farm management change, but the farm is small, it's only an acre. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always been an acre, pretty much. And so, when you have such a tight space, using a tractor at first, it's kind of a logistical nightmare to even get in there. But you need to maximize every inch of your bed top. And the whole idea behind farming on like a big commercial scale is that um, you're using tractor implements for everything, and they don't necessarily utilize the most of the space. You know, you could have a 36 or 48 inch bed top, which is four. You know, it's a big bed top um a lot larger than ours and you would only have 3 rows of a crop in it. Well, here at our farm because we're doing it all by hand and tighter to make the most of the space, we're not using tractor implements. Mm-hmm. You can space things much tighter. Um so that's part of the reason. There's a a lot of reasons people go no-till. Um it's a much better for the soil in general because that tilling process, no matter which way you till, is essentially just smashing the soil. Um and what that does is there's a bunch of microbial life that lives in the soil, mm-hmm. um, things that are very, very beneficial to your uh, plants to be in there, um, like fungi and mycorrhizae and things like that that are going to benefit the crop that's in there. So, if you till with a tractor, you are, I mean, you are actually killing the soil at times. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's you know if you only do it very minimally, it's not happening that often. It's your soil can be healthier than somebody else, but farms that till and turn over their fields aggressively every single year. There's a reason that their farms usually look like dust, um, because they're not giving the soil any time to basically come alive. Um, earthworms is another way to tell, um, a much larger way to tell. But there's a lot going on, um, and basically, there's books and books written about this. But soil health um, correlates to better yields, um, less pest damage, less disease, because it's more close to its natural state. Where, and and they don't even know exactly what is always causing it, but there's something in the soil. There's something happening between the plant and the fungi that are basically making it, you know, more resistant to disease, more resistant to pests, um, growing faster, things like that. Um, so basically, you know, there's a lot that's going on at a level that we don't understand, but it's obvious that when you're tilling the soil, you are hindering that process. Right. So the, the solution is, you know, how can we do it, uh, minimally or as little as possible. So that was kind of like why people go no till. Um, gotcha. I mean, yeah, I could go on I could go on forever about that, but there's a lot. Basically, you know the health of your soil and how good your farm is by soil organic matter.
1: Right. So I they, remember you talking about that. Your last one had like an incredibly high Yeah. Number. So And you thought the you, average fr- farm, you and you thought your farm you thought your field would catch on fire if you flame weeded.
0: Yeah, exactly. So the the last farm we were at was like fifty percent soil organic matter, which means half of your soil is alive basically with that stuff. Um, most farms shoot for five to 7%, but a low, a no-till farm can get those numbers higher than 10%, even higher because you know
1: what yours is here.
0: I don't actually, and I should ask and come back and and tell you guys what they're at. But, um, it's obvious even here, they've told me, you know, this field up here was turned over year one. So three years, it's been a no-till field. Um, when we do any work in that field, you can see, that that soil is healthier, the plants are healthier. Mm-hmm. It's easier to dig your hands in and plant something. There's less weeds. That's the other thing is every time you, t- you till, you're bringing weeds up from the soil. So soil or weeds only germinate in like the top quarter inch to half inch of the soil, but there's weed seed down multiple inches. So essentially they call it the seed bank that's available. Every time you deep till, you bring those seeds back to the surface that are oh, lower, yeah. and now, that they're, now they're gonna germinate and you're gonna continue having a weed problem. But if you minimally till and you're not bringing up new seeds, um, you can really lower your weed pressure. So, at this farm here, a field that we plant on one week, and we come back and do the first weeding three to four weeks later, um, it's not too bad. You know, you can pick the weeds by hand. You can spend a little bit of time in there. That at my farm last year, if you waited a, a month, you would have, you wouldn't see your crop anymore. <laughs> um, there's just that many weeds ready to to germinate. Um, so that's another thing that's very noticeable on this farm is the weed pressure is pretty low for you know, what it should be, um, and that's mostly because of the no-till. So it makes,
1: makes your life easier.
0: It does, and especially when your farm is not using tractors at all. So right. you know, you're doing everything by hand. You, you need to see weeds going down because otherwise if the weed pressure stayed just as high, there would be no reason to go no-till because you would spend every minute of your day weeding. Now, the first year that you turn over from being a conventional farm to no-till it's gonna suck like <laughs> and they I'm glad I wasn't here for it. they you know that was three years ago, yeah, and they said that yeah, that first year you're you're fighting really bad weed pressure because you're kind of you're basically you know rehabbing your farm or rehabbing right. your soil um, so you could you know the first year that's I mean, that causes a lot of people to maybe turn their back on it thinking that. It's not working. Right. Or well, that
1: it's not sustainable. It out. Like they think about, yeah. oh my God, I can't do this again next year. Not maybe realizing that it's not going to be quite as bad.
0: Yeah, it should get better. Especially when, I mean, so usually no-till farms like this are started on a small scale because right. it is just so intensive. Or maybe a farmer will shave off part of their field to try this way. Um, there is no-till as well that goes on a much larger scale that is does still use tractor implements. But, um it's interesting. Basically, you know, they do things where they have tractor implements that just direct seed, like push the seed through last year's crop and things like that. Um, for Wait, corn say, and I don't
1: understand. Explain that again.
0: So they harvest with like, a, let's say they harvest with a combine in the fall, right? They go through, they get all their corn out of their field. Right. If you look at a field that's just been harvested of corn, there's like corn stalks laying everywhere. Right.
1: There's like a corn um, apocalypse.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, there's little stubs of the old corn plants mm-hmm. um, and the ground is kind of covered in that stuff. Well, most farms would go through with a moldboard plow or something pretty heavy and break that stuff down and include it back in the soil doing deep tilling. They're bringing all that stuff up to the surface, and now it looks like dirt again. Um, Another thing you can do, and if you have the right implements and stuff for it, is you don't do any form of tilling like that. uh, It's called like a drill sear, and essentially you put all your seed in that, and it punches holes into the soil and drops the seed. And essentially all the old corn becomes like a mulch. So hmm. the corn, the things that you just planted will still come up. Um, but the last year's refuse will hold down the weeds. So oh, you, didn't okay. till, you didn't till it all. Um, and I know that works and there are farms that are doing it on a, a huge scale. Um, and it's kind of and naturally over time if you never till your field. The problem is sometimes weeds can get out of hand um, if they do find their way through. Gotcha. And then you have to, you're not, they're not going to go out there in their thousand acre field and pull some weeds. So, what happens is they plow it or they spray something, um, which is not always a solution. But um, all that old corn refuse turns into good soil or organic matter, becomes better for the soil kind right. of that over time.
1: Yeah, that makes um, sense. But this farm, obviously, an acre, all hand tools, we're just doing everything by hand. So, right. And do you you like working on this no-till farm more than what you've done in the past? Or how does it vary from what you've done in the past?
0: It's just, yeah, I mean, it's very different. There's a lot of factors that play into why I like this farm so much. Um, But it looks, I mean, it's called, the style is usually referred to as market gardening. Because market gardens are usually less than two acres, intensively planted and um, they look like a big backyard garden almost. I mean, right. and definitely still a farm. Um, still operates as a farm, but so that's what this farm is. It's the first time I've ever been on one like this, and I love it because it is aesthetically pleasing. It's very nice to see a, a you know, last year you'd walk through a field, and you'd be like, yeah, there's onions in there. And people are like, I can't see them. You're like, no, they're there. Like, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> the, yeah, we'll come back and and you know we did it four times and you still can't even see the onions, but they'll grow and they do. Um, but basically, all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot because most of those weeds seeded out and next year it'll be just as bad. So at this farm you're walking through and you can see all the crops. Um, right. I like the permanent bed system and not messing around with ever tilling into these fields and starting over. Um, you just feel better about the farming that you're doing too. You feel like I understand the science behind it as well, but I feel like, you know, the soil is visually healthier. I've never seen a farm right. with more earthworms than this farm. It's incredible. You know, the soil may not look like the black, beautiful, um, compost looking farm I had last year but I would dare to say that the soil's close to as healthy because of the way it's being treated so right it does make more hand work time mm-hmm. you know you're doing more stuff with you know we're using a thing called a broad fork a lot which is pretty hard on the body but it's no different than I mean I think labor wise the conventional farms are still worse though because of the weeds um, we spent more hours weeding at the farm last year um, than we did this year and we were t- you know Using cultivators, we were using all these crazy tools to try and keep that down. Um, so I I like all aspects of that so far. And the other thing, especially since last year, I was at the management side of it. I know what we our profit slash what we brought in last year in vegetables, um, something like a hundred, you know, over a hundred and fifty thousand, but less than two hundred thousand, on a six acre muck soil farm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This farm does roughly a hundred and fifty thousand in sales on one acre. Um, Wow. and it's just that there's are because
1: it's so so much more dense it's much
0: more dense it's i mean honestly it was, uh, there's a lot of factors for why last year wasn't great i mean we were new to farming um my right. boss and i but we also this, heard about your your greenhouse flying away yeah and we had a lot of problems with. <laughs> yeah there were a lot of things that went wrong but on this farm yeah every right now almost every single inch of our fields right now it's the end of june is planted there is no field sitting open um there's something in everywhere there's you know and they're making the most of pretty much every inch of space out here they're doing things that turn around really fast um you know they're in the ground for a month not even before you plant something else what, um, what's and, an
1: example of something like that that seems ridiculously fast you're saying something you can be planted um, and then harvest in a month
0: yeah so you like plant what? if you're if you're direct seeding which means you're not hmm. even starting it in the greenhouse you're putting the seed into the soil in the field um that would be like radishes and turnips. Um, specific types, but like the spring little red radishes, spring turnips turn around that fast. Any type of salad green that you do is near that fast. Um, and then if you're doing transplants, which, you know, it doesn't, you can, you're not wasting space because you're using the greenhouse to start them. If you start a transplant and the second you put it into the soil, like a head of lettuce, we can harvest that head of lettuce in three weeks. Gotcha. Um, we can harvest kohlrabi and fennel and bok choy and things like that. In a month or under. So there's a lot of stuff that's turning around that fast. And the other thing they do here is they interplant. So they might plant in a bed that's, you know, 36 inches wide. The middle is cucumbers. The two outside rows are lettuce. By the time that the cucumbers are just giant and taking over, we have harvested the two outside rows of lettuce. Um, So that's interplanting, basically making the most of your space and time. And then by the time they're gone, the cucumbers can take over. So a lot of practice. I just is like that. you know, At the farm last year, we had cucumbers, so we didn't plant anything next to them. They were just, it was a bed full of cucumbers. Right. And, and, um,
1: and which means that while the cucumbers were small, that's a bunch of wasted space.
0: Yes. Yep. Exactly. So you're wasting bedtop space. So you're making money off of, you know, and when the, you just did cucumbers, you don't make money on that until that first cucumber fruits and you pick it. With lettuce next to yeah. it, we're making money
1: off all the lettuce before the cucumbers right. even come up. Um, right. I, have a, I have a question real quick. Um, mm-hmm. So. Do you, how do you keep track of knowing like, what is ready to pick and kind of planning for that? Is it literally just like looking at it and being like, oh, that looks like it'll be soon. And I remember that we planted this a little while ago. Or do you have some sort of like spreadsheet that is tracking this stuff?
0: Um, it varies farm to farm and, and, and scale, obviously. But there's usually a sheet that you are tracking when you plant stuff. Okay. For sure. So you'll be plant. You'll say like, you know, it's June 7th. We need to plant carrots this week. We should have um, lettuce that's ready to be transplanted this week. And then you have another spreadsheet that was a uh, like your greenhouse schedule. So if I know that lettuce is supposed to be planted today, like June 30th, I should have started had lettuce in the greenhouse two weeks before. So you have two spreadsheets usually that are, are working together. Um, and as far as like when things should be ready at this scale, it's literally farm walks, once or twice a week and we're in all the fields so often that you do see like we'll be picking you know be weeding in the front field and we know that there's a bed of fennel that we planted next to us we'll look at it and go like okay that's gonna be ready before we realize like you know next week we should probably come out here and look at that um and that was even true on our six acre farm steve and i would walk around every you know once or twice a week at the end of the day notebooks in hand and just partly to see what's ready to harvest but the other thing is it's also like Oh, shoot, we forgot about that field over there. Yeah, it's just getting overrun by weeds. Like we totally just like fell to the back of our mind or, um, you know, garlic scapes come up and out of a garlic plant. If you don't break those off, you don't get a bulb of garlic. So you can't forget that you need to pick off your scapes. Otherwise, you won't have a crop in right. July. This so is, it's a lot it's of stuff so, like
1: that. It's so interesting because so much like I'm just picturing how like my brain works and how I track my work and if i were in charge of a farm i i would have so many like automatic reminders based on like how long i know things how frequently yeah. i need to do things and i would imagine and i could just picture like every day waking up and like having the right reminders showing up in front of me based on you know the fact that what i planted 3 weeks ago and and all the various kind of maintenance tasks it seems like mm-hmm. you could really I would very quickly become overwhelmed if I didn't offload all of this stuff into some sort of system that could just keep track of it for me.
0: Yeah. You'd, I mean, you'd, and you'd think that too, about in terms of like, I need a reminder to tell me that like that Kohlrabi and field one might be ready. But at the yeah. same time, like
1: if you're there, you're just, the you're just,
0: you're, you're there all the time. So you just like, it's almost like you have no choice but to notice. Um, yeah. and we do have meetings every morning, you know, work starts at seven. We sit down and, there's a week schedule on the whiteboard and it says you know you looked at the look at the greenhouse schedule on Sunday and you wrote up on the board like greenhouse on Thursday we need to start these plants um, so that up there is like as a week you know overview you know certain things need to get done but um, there's definitely times when if I was running my own farm I would want a very good to do or you know like a, a to-doist kind of thing set up that would be that would have everything and there are I think I'm sure apps out there that do that um, when right. you plug in, say, you know, if you plugged in, they say that you live in Michigan, this zone, or wherever you're living, you know, what agricultural zone you're in, and you tell them you just planted, um, this, you know, a type of carrots called yaya. You can be like, I planted yaya carrots today, <laughs> which is, is a, Yeah, there's an orange type of carrot called yayas. Um, but I'm sure you could do. There's an app where you could say, I don't June 30th yeah. planted yayas, and it would ping you in 70 days, which is their days to maturity, give or take, and it would say, you know, yaya is ready to harvest. Right. Um, and, but the problem with farming is that's not even always right. I mean, right. there's so many very, 70 days is ideal yeah. in a closed environment. You could have a lot of rain and things went well. You could have a drought. Um, right. So a lot of that stuff would be, it would get annoying for me now. Cause I feel like if I was checking it, it says like, you know, tomatoes should be ready to pick. I know our tomatoes aren't ready to pick because yeah,
1: but here's the thing though. A good, good piece of software should know your location and should know what the weather has been and could adjust uh, what it's telling you based on that.
0: This is how we're different people. Because then I would say the
1: technology at that point is not helpful
0: because my eyes also know that. And being here knows <laughs> that. And I think it's just a matter of like... I mean, I think there's very few farmers that would... I mean, there's definitely we could talk about it there's some cool technology that people use to make farming easier and i definitely think it makes even on my scale like makes it easier yeah. but in terms of like readiness and what to do on a farm sure. a lot of it i think big tasks could be put on there in terms of like don't forget pigs come you know june 27th sure. because there's prep there's prep work that needs to be done but that's the thing that happens one time the summer you know or don't forget to you know give the lambs their medicine or something or check them for the disease because those are less common um, and those would definitely be helpful on like a to doist thing, but like the day to day, it's just, yeah, it's just there. Hmm. Um, hmm. so
1: right. but, but I would, I, of... <laughs> I would be worried about, I would be worried. I mean, not alone, just like forgetting things. I could see how I, I wouldn't necessarily forget things if you're out in it every day. I would be mm-hmm. concerned that like a bunch of different things kind of all come to completion at the same time. And we set ourselves up for like a a day or a couple of days of crunch where like we could have prevented it by maybe like, but by by, like seeing it coming basically.
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, that definitely does happen a lot. Things come up like that, but also the better you get at farming, um, the better you get at naturally doing successions of things. Mm -hmm. Um, so understanding that, you know, you can't have three successions of lettuce come together at the same time because in the heat lettuce bolts, which is basically it seeds out, um, gets bitter, you know, every plant can bolt, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and,
1: you that know, just if means you did... grow flowers?
0: Yeah, so basically they get stressed out by the environment and they throw up a flower stalk, put out flowers trying to reproduce because they're like, you know, this is too hot for me to survive. Wait, is Here's that what my, my cactus
1: plant did the other day?
0: That's sometimes what people think. <laughs> Wait, so it was sad? Well, it was usually sometimes, yeah. Usually if something flowers out like that, it's stressed out. Um, but other I thought things, it was just other, cause
1: it got old cause I had a, old. I had some indoor basil that I guess never touched and just let it grow like crazy and it eventually bolted.
0: Yeah. Um, but there's other reasons that things bolt too. I mean, garlic will always bolt out, you know, produce scapes, which are the flour. Um, and that is more of a, I, I think that is less a reaction to stress and more reaction to sunlight and time. Mm. Um, so some things bolt because of stress, like lettuce, you would know that you're know, a cabbage. Um, you just need to know the conditions for them basically. But yeah, there is a lot of natural successions that you can figure out just by, um, you know, when you're planning your field schedule at the beginning of the year and you're saying, you know, June 1st, I want to plant lettuce June 8th, I want to plant lettuce like every week. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of get better at it. And then this is the kind of thing we were talking about before though, that you're always doing innovation and changes. So maybe we're discovering that, 60% – 60% – no, 30% of our lettuce is being eaten by rabbits because it is because they're terrible or woodchucks <laughs> or deer or something else. Who knows Why don't what you – well, hold on. Just, I,
1: let's come back to that real quick. Why aren't you training your dog to be like the protector of the farm?
0: We're, we're working on it. She's okay. very young. She mostly eats grass and rocks. So <laughs> – We'll work our way up to her chasing woodchucks. Um, <laughs> I right. definitely think it could happen one day. But okay. they're all also right. doing all their they're doing all their damage at night and mm-hmm. I don't really want to send my puppy out there to just try and figure it sure. out. Sure, sure. Um she gets lost very easily. <laughs> okay. But um so, you know, we are always doing that innovation where you're realizing something's going wrong and so you now we start two trays of lettuce, you know, or we double it because we know we're gonna lose some. Or
1: right. maybe
0: instead of maybe instead of the solution isn't double the seed and waste seed and feed them more. Maybe it's we need to buy another electric fence and put it around just this field, or from now on, lettuce can only be planted in this one field um, that's protected better, or something. So those kind of changes are always being made on a small setting, and right. even on large farms, because again, it's just that that proximity to what's going on. Um, but there is a lot of cool technology that can be useful that would you know make your job easier. There's a lot of um, farms now have the you know a hoop house where you grow your tomatoes. Um, they have the sides that go up and down, right? You, you usually roll by hand. So if it's really sunny out, you have to roll up the sides cause it's baking inside there. And if you do that, tomatoes drop their blossoms, things die from getting to 120 degrees. Like it just happens. So you need to roll up the sides. But, uh, a lot of farms now have their phone hooked up to an app that controls a thermometer inside the hoop house. All their hoop houses have thermometers and if they're really good, they have the sides program to roll up whenever the temperature gives above 85 right um so the sides are almost always moving on their own if it's a cloudy day but you can look at your phone and be like okay all the hoop houses are open they're each reporting at 90 degrees like we're good if you could see you know it would give you an error or a notification that says hoop house you know three is 105 degrees the side just kind of rolled up or something you can run out there and fix it um and that would be useful because like when i worked at the farm last year and we didn't live on the farm you know a, a sunny and cloudy day back and forth or a day that starts pouring in the morning and you're like, all right, I can leave the greenhouse closed. I'm going to go back home. And then you sit at home and you're like, Oh, it's so sunny out now. And now you know that all that stuff in there is either baking or you hope it's still cloudy there or, you know, someone has to go fix it. So there is some cool technology that can be useful on a farm, yeah. but we don't use, we don't use too much of it here, but it's a lot of whiteboards. Well, you, everyone is,
1: Yeah. And also you <laughs> live right
0: there. You look out your window, but, but well, that's yeah, that's true. But that even there's even apps though where you could control the roll upside from my house. You know, yeah. I wouldn't have to go out and do it, um, which is kind of nice. But yeah, we're very much a kind of farm where, um, one, it helps that you have a pretty we have a staff or a crew that's worked on a lot of farms, so everyone's always kind of looking for this stuff in general. But also everyone has notebooks on them at all times. We all actually carry walkie talkies too to talk to each other throughout the day, which is a cool piece of technology. Let me tell you, <laughs> <That> <laughs> And it's pretty um, cool. So, I mean, yeah, and just like always writing notes on things. I mean, the start of the week, Kaylee has a a notebook paper in front of her that's just like split up into tasks, like weeding. These fields need to be weeded. This needs to be done. This needs to get done. And it is very, I mean, archaic, I guess, in the term of the way it's laid out. But it's It's, also all we kind of
1: need. I'm always always a fan of using the simplest tool possible to get, you know, to get things done. Yeah. And that's, I
0: mean, and it it works here right now. I wouldn't say that we're having a lot of problems with communication or like Mm -hmm. things falling, you know, by the wayside. Um, it helps that again. Yeah. Kaylee and I live here and I walk around right. the farm every day at the end of, you know, at the end of the day with a dog or something. So I see things as they happen to, but,
1: right. um, you say you carry a notebook around all day. So if you see something, you can like write it down and not forget it.
0: Yeah. And That's usually cool. yeah, everyone's, or, you know, a lot of farmers will – I worked with somebody that used to text themselves things. Like, I don't know why she would do this, but she would text herself things <laughs> when she was out in the fields mm-hmm. um, to kind of like a running list at the end of the day or just open the notes app or just take pictures of stuff like a weird disease you've never seen before on your tomatoes. You take right. a picture to show somebody. Um, so that kind of stuff is happening like constantly um, from all five. You know, we're, we're a crew of five when everyone's there um, and almost everyone is making those kind of decisions. Right. Um, and, you know – Like I said, last year I didn't necessarily have a crew where everyone was used to farming and where everyone could make those kind of decisions. So um, it definitely helps when you have a farmer who's farmed before, but that's a surprisingly uh, uncommon thing to get on a small farm. It's hard to, at least during hiring, it's very hard to find someone that's farmed before.
1: Right, yeah. Because I would would imagine there's not a... Yeah, actually, this will be something interesting to talk about in the future maybe, but just like the kind of the career path of, of the farmer, you know, is this the type Mm -hmm. of thing where younger people like yourself, you know, do it for a few years before moving on to something else? Or how many, how many people who are farming at your age kind of continue on and, and make a career out of it?
0: Yeah. And and, yeah, that could be a whole topic, but I'll definitely say that I've worked with many people that it's, it's the common, like, like hippie, like, you know, like free spirit thing. Like you are, you know, you're in your early twenties, you're looking to, you're willing to work and live on a farm for not much money and just, like, get the experience of, like, living with other people and working with other people. But then you're going to move on and do something else. And that is very common. Right. Um, it's treated as a summer job a lot. You know, people are like, I have the time to work on something. I'm going right. to, you know, do this as a summer job. Occasionally, you know, one out of 10, one out of 15 um, is looking to pursue an actual future in farming. Um, but I would say my experience, at least, and I haven't been farming that long. It's, see, that number seems to be going up or at least people who are interested in potentially making it a full-time
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, thing or having their own farm seems to be more and more common, um, which is exciting for me because I think that's the way that farming needs to go. But that's yeah. another whole topic for the future too. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> what, the future of, what the future of farming should be, according to me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of people are on the same page of that, at least. A lot of a lot of people that I work with are on the same page right. for what they think that should be. But. Sorry, I wandered long off of no-till. No,
1: it's all good. Is there <laughs> is there anything else I need to know about, uh, st- about starting a no-till farm?
0: Oh, yeah. There's probably a lot of books and stuff you should read.
1: But
0: <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but, yeah. But, but I guess, I mean, the thing that was exciting for me about, like, the very first time I read a book about this, no-till or market gardening, um, I think, to me, they go hand in hand. You're not going to have a market garden that's one acre and manage it with a tractor. Right. Um, that's overkill. Because it... It's overkill. The startup cost, would makes no sense. The whole part of being a market gardener is that the startup cost is very low, and right. buying in a $5,000, 10000 tractor is an unnecessary expense. Um, there's things called walk-behind tractors that people use that are kind of like beefy rototillers. Oh, no. A mower you can attach. Your audio, a bit. your
1: audio cut out but, for a second. Oh, no. Uh-oh. I oh, no. Other? Yeah, you're here. Carry on.
0: Okay. Carry on.
1: Anyways, I was talking about walk behind
0: tractors and that's a thing that small farmers walk behind tractor
1: is, um, as a, as a horse.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yep. You're right. (laughs) Um, but the one thing I was gonna say that was really exciting about learning about market gardens and no till is that you could, um, you know, sell $150,000 worth of produce from one acre. Right. Um, and if you, you know, are very lean about the way that you're doing that and you approach it in a very efficient way, um, there's farmers that are, you know, for once making a living growing on an acre, you know, you don't need to have, you know, the common thing was what they get bigger, yeah. get bigger, get out was the seventies agricultural approach, right. um, which is basically, you know, keep getting more and more acres. Well, and that's why all
1: like family farms, like disappeared basically, you know, yep. all bought up by huge companies that run it at an industrial scale.
0: Yeah, exactly. And also why there's a lot of subsidies now and why, you know, I just finished reading a book that was about a Mentioned a potato farmer um, that was farming the conventional way out in Idaho. And for basically one acre of potatoes, he sells it for $2,000 basically or whatever. Or, you know, he, he had a t- amount of money that he makes. And after all, you know, it cost him $1,950 per acre to produce hmm. that. So he made 50 bucks an acre. Hmm.
1: That uh, um, I could see why you need many, in- many acres at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this proved and this kind of taught people that like, one acre, three quarters of an acre, you can gross over $100,000 worth of produce.
1: You can make make a living off of it. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah, and if you know, you can pay yourself, like most farmers that are, even the farmers I know now, like very few are making over $45,000 a year. But the more and more that this like information comes out and people are kind of like, you know, experimenting with no-till and systems that cut down on labor and things like that, um, or what crops sell really well or different marketing strategies, it's becoming possible and for for someone to buy a piece of property with 2 acres which used to seem like nothing in terms of farming and actually be able to gross you know a, a wage off right. of it a livable wage so that's pretty that's the exciting thing that i think about this type of farming yeah that's cool
1: um, Oh, it makes me think too about the importance of kind of the ecosystem around you not in terms of the biological ecosystem, but restaurants that will buy your produce or, you know, stores what you can easily sell into, or even like really popular farmers markets. So it's one thing to like grow all the stuff, but you actually need somewhere to to sell it to.
0: Yeah. And for me I would say that's that's actually an area that needs the next level of growth because farms are happening a lot now. There's I mean, there's a ton of farms like this. Or there's a lot of farms like this. Um and it's growing every year. And for a while, the model was CSA farming, which I mean, I think I told you before what that is. Right. But that's where I, you, like you pay that's... ahead
1: of time, and basically you get you get like a box of stuff from the farm each week.
0: Yeah, it's like a, I guess it's like a subscription service. Really, it's like yeah. you you know you, you pay five hundred for ours. It was five hundred and seventy five dollars um, before June first, and then for twenty two weeks starting June first, every single week you pick up a box of produce from the farm. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be whatever they have that's in season. If the farmer's doing well, you will get bonus. You know, if we were having a great week of tomatoes or something, you got bonus um, because you kind of helped us start at the beginning of the year. It gave us a lump sum right. to afford starting to pay people and things like that before maybe the the product was moving. Um, so a lot of people do CSAs, but now actually it's hard to find new members for CSAs. So a lot of farms are trying to change their marketing um, methods or how they sell, or doing a lot more farm stores or on-site farms or things like that but for me i think yeah if this is going to continue happening in the food movement that there needs to be some form of change in terms of more small one-off grocery stores that are willing to buy just from you know local farms or local makers in general there needs to be you know either farming co-ops there needs to be more restaurants that are on board using you know not the most beautiful produce but produce that tastes good that's in season um there's a lot of things like that 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 could be done there could be a lot more you know Restaurants willing to preserve and use produce, um, so that in the winter that they can, you know, not have to buy as much, but still be using things that were from yeah, a I local th- environment.
1: This is probably a bigger topic. I'm just wondering, you know, as you're getting into selling to grocery stores or into restaurants, what kind of like government inspections do you have to go through as a f- small farm? I, w- I would imagine something, but may- maybe not. I don't know. How does that work? Like, do you have a relationship it's- with like the FDA?
0: Not yet for certain things you do. So, one, if you're USDA organic, there you're going through that certification process to uh, to label your food that you know you can't just be throwing around. So there's like that a, title. like an
1: initial process, and then I imagine some sort of like recertification that p- they come in and like audit your process. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. And it's it's kind of awful. Um, our farm last year, both farms I worked at before this were USDA organic. Um, it's expensive to start. It's a lot of paperwork. They track a lot of things, understandably, but. Yeah, it's, you pay a lot at the start of the year and then you re-up every year. And then if you mess up at some point and do something non-organic, you accidentally buy the wrong seed, you can lose your full certification for your entire property mm-hmm. or you can lose it for the section that it occurred on. For three years, you'd have to farm that piece of property organic methods again and then re-up and re-try to apply. Oh wow. So actually, what's becoming really common is people are saying, screw it. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, because it partly doesn't there's a lot of organic farms. There's organic farms in California that are thousands of acres that people are buying cheaper produce from. So it's becoming not worth the time and effort and the hoops you have to jump through to, to get certified organic mm. when maybe um, there's a tighter relationship now between farmer and customer than there used to be
1: right where More if they about come to your farms
0: yeah, if they come yeah. to your farm stand every week, you know they can ask you and farms are advertising you know we don't spray anything that's not organic. Uh, approved if we're going to spray you know we're minimal till we're right. this we're that um it's way more common now to have uh, a new farm start up and go yeah i'm not going to be organic it's not worth the 750 dollars to sign up and then to re-up it every year i'm just going to go and try and be tell people that i'm naturally grown right and this just is how i do
1: market it. about your organic stuff but not actually worry about getting the actual official like step yeah. of approval
0: Yep. And because there's so many arguments out there if if, if organic even means anything anymore. Right. And it's, yeah. I mean, it is. A, and it is. It's a pretty hazy territory to talk about now. Like it's it's hard right. to say. So that's one you know thing you have to jump through. But mm-hmm. in terms of selling at a farmer's market, not really. And if you're not trying to claim to sell anything that's ready to eat, like you're not selling salad greens that say, hey, you can eat this right okay. now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Basically, you can be a backyard gardener. Um, you know, apply to your farmers market board. You know, there's always a board that kind of approves new vendors, uh-huh. and you can, you show up and you bring your stuff and you market for how much you want to market for. You you know, it's still very, I guess you say the barrier to entry to that is pretty low, which is okay. nice. It, yeah. it gives it. You know, that's why most farms will start trying to get into a farmers market. Um, the only thing that other certification I know of is the ready to eat like salad greens. Um, we did that at Sealy in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. and you do get approved by like an FDA. They come out and. They check your wash pack facility to make sure that, really, you know everything is up to par. That you can truly be saying, "Hey, eat this. I know it's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Like you can put this in your mouth right now. And when you can do that, when you can sell it as ready to eat salad greens, people do pay more because they're buying a plastic clamshell and it's like, I can yeah. eat this now. It's like it's it's kind of idiot proof. You know, you don't have to put effort in. Yeah. Um, but you could also be a farm that does the same salad greens, sells them at your farm stand, but you're not claiming that they're ready to eat. You should wash right. them yourself. Kind of thing. And yeah. I would argue if you're buying ready to eat ones, you probably should still wash them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've worked on both so. sides of it. I've seen it. Like, yeah. it's
1: not <laughs> yeah, what you want to I hear, hear necessarily from a
0: farmer. But no, so there, the certification wise, there's not a lot of rigmarole you need to go through to, to get okay. approved to That's sell cool. stuff, which is good. Um, grocery stores could probably ask for um, to you know, they'd ask you maybe for your list of, sprays that you use and things like that Mm -hmm. but it's always um up to the grocery store right? Uh, right so yeah and i think we can definitely talk about this too like in the future like more of where my interest lies now in terms of farming because i do think that it's maybe now it's not necessarily just farming property or farming and and growing produce for me there's a little bit more now that needs to to kind of follow that up the chain to how that actually gets marketed and, and sold because um people are growing good food now, but there's a lot of it still wasted or Mm -hmm. they're not, people aren't able to grow and become a bigger farm or grow more because a lot of times you can't find people to buy it. And that's a frustrating situation to be in, um, to know you're growing good stuff, but there's no one there to actually buy your stuff. And, and it's not like your price is ridiculous. You know, we, the prices for organic food and at least at farmer's markets is not outrageous. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's still, I think got a lot of that, that, um, Assumption that people make about it is that it, you know it's expensive to buy produce, but I mean sometimes
1: <laughs> sometimes when I when I'm buying groceries, sometimes the organic stuff for whatever reason is like either the exact same price, or and I have even seen in a couple of instances it was actually cheaper.
0: And it and that could be, and I think part of what plays into this is that it's more in season. So yeah,
1: yeah if you are probably. trying to eat
0: asparagus in June, you will pay less, even if it's organic, than. Non organic asparagus in July, you know, like in some other random month, because yeah. in June, it's when it's ready in a lot of places. Um, and that's the other big proponent people have is you know, eating with the seasons will make it cheaper for you. Yeah, because I'm I can't sell my garlic for more than like two dollars a head, you know, if it's nice garlic at this time of year, because everybody has it. Now, maybe if I sit on it and hold it all the way into the winter and then try and sell it, I can sell it for more. I don't want garlic not- that your butt's been on. That's yeah, funny thank you that's that's a terrible joke but, um no but way that's not man. worth it for me Hilarious. as a farmer to hold on to it that long uh the quality goes down et cetera. so yeah and that's the other thing too is that it's, it doesn't it doesn't have to be terribly expensive but i could ramble for hours and hours about farming and food and food prices well <laughs> i've added
1: i'll add some more topics to our list and we can explore them on another day because i think we're we're closing in on our uh, on our time for today
0: yeah, we can. Well, uh, we can bounce back to you because I've done a lot of talking. But uh yeah, I'm good. So this is the so fly this a, is the Mac show. This is the Mac show. But I, I'm mm-hmm. actually I'm only the one interested in the last bullet point that I want to ask you because your vacations are usually when you just read like a ton. At least yeah. that's been your thing in the past. Yeah, you mentioned you're going to reread Brave New Work. Because I, I you know, decided you know, I'm like, actually
1: not going to reread it while I'm on vacation. That's work. That's good. I'm going to save it for when I come back. Oh, okay, that's probably a good. Yeah. So what are you going to read? While that's you're a gone? good question. I don't actually know. Um uh let's see i was opening apple books right now so I'm, I'm working on jared diamond's newest book called upheaval uh which is pretty good i have that's actually an audio book and i'm working on um i think what book is this book four maybe of uh the expanse expanse yeah it's a good series cibola green or cibola burn i mean so yes yep cibola um, burn oh i also just bought a book today I decided I wanted to learn more about the weather because I love the weather, and I'm always <laughs> looking at the radar and like trying to track storms and stuff. And I just want to learn more about the weather, so I bought a book called "How to Read the Weather." Hey, You and I have
0: that in common. I I am very interested in it as well.
1: All it right. Partly work related, but partly just like it's also
0: very fun for me. You'll tell me if it's good.
1: I will. I'll teach um, you. I'll, I'll teach you all about it. I don't know. I'll, I'll... <laughs> we can <could> have a. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a weather I'll podcast. A... Yeah, so we can have a weather episode. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get there. I mean, the nice thing about reading electronically is that I can. I don't need to bring the books with me right now. I can figure it out and see what I'm feeling when I'm sitting on the beach and just buy it then. I have one quick
0: book question for you. So obviously, you read a ton in a year. And I would say, because I follow you on Goodreads, that like a good 70% of them are what? Probably nonfiction?
1: Yeah, probably work even, related. More, even more than that, yeah. maybe. Yeah.
0: What determines when you decide to read something that's n- not you know that's fiction or like a fantasy sci-fi book because so I know you do because you're like our family and you you do read I mean you're reading the expanse right now a sci-fi series um, and I know you've read Name of the Wind and some of the other ones that we've read but what determines when like Sam's gonna pick up a, a non-fiction book or, yeah, or pick up a, a sci-fi fiction. book
1: and read it I don't know i I honestly have yeah. no i I very much just kind of play my gut when uh, I'm deciding what I'm going to read next. And usually my gut sends me down the nonfiction route. But every once in a while, I decide to go to go fiction. And there's no rhyme or reason. I got to imagine that maybe uh,
0: you get burnt out to a sense. I mean, I feel like a lot of your reading Sometimes. is, is – is, I mean, like it's work-related, but it's obviously that you are interested in that topic. But maybe it's just my mind and the way I work that I would just get like –
1: no I definitely do I definitely do sometimes and I have at times in the past decided to try to make a conscious effort to read more fiction because I think I would stand to benefit and I would really enjoy reading more fiction so Mm -hmm. I've I've read a little bit more this year than I have in the past and actually honestly on vacation is when I'm most likely to read fiction
0: yeah that makes sense to me I mean you read um on writing by Stephen King, right?
1: Yep, a couple times. I think
0: he, I think he claims in there a lot that you should be reading fiction and fiction books. in There, I think yeah. that was his, his old belief is that you know nonfiction books are good, but you're gonna, I don't know. I can't remember what his exact reasoning was for why fiction would be better for you, um, in terms of just like, I don't know if it's creativity or vocabulary or just everything in general. But I remember he said, you know, he recommends that most people read fiction, but maybe that's because yeah. that's what he writes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a <self> maybe, <laughs> maybe, it's maybe. All part of his plan. I know last, last vacation or last year when I was at Cape Cod, I read, um, I think I read Grapes of Wrath. Uh, oh, yeah. so it's pretty um, depressing, <laughs> <laughs> I did. a sad book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of was. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll nothing. I'll I'll come back with a book report of whatever I end up reading.
0: Okay. I so said nothing like reading about the Dust Bowl while you're sitting on a beach.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: Same All thing. All right. Well, maybe I'll have a book update too. We went to the. I went and bought some new, or not you. I bought some used books today. Um, oh, nice. Some, ran, some random ones from a thrift store, so I can report back.
1: All right. Let's talk about it next time.
0: <sighs> Sounds good, man. Have a good All vacation. Right,
1: cool. I'll talk to you later.